This is Carolyn Holly. Welcome to Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall. For the next half hour, you're going to be encouraged and challenged by Skip and his guests as they discuss the game plan for life. In sports, as in life, it's important to have a game plan. And as Skip says, no game plan, no victory. Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall is brought to you by the following sponsors. Dutch Bros of Boise, an experience guaranteed to satisfy. Therapeutic Associates Physical Therapy, your partner in health. And Summer's Funeral Home, every life leaves a legacy. McDowell's Specialty Repair, Susie Boyle Mortgage Team and Castle & Cook Mortgage LLC. And now here's your host for Game Plan for Life, Skip Hall. Welcome to Game Plan for Life. This is your host, Skip Hall. Well, today we've got a very exciting show for you. We have a man that just came off of Mount Everest, just finished and summiting Mount Everest, which not everybody is, uh, is able to do. Uh, his name is Mark Pattison. And first of all, Mark, welcome to Game Plan for Life. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Mark's coming to us from Sun Valley where he lives, and uh, he's recuperating a bit uh, it's only been about a week, hasn't it, Mark, since you came down? Yeah, you know, I, I was able to uh, successfully summit the mountain on, on May 23rd, and so, you okay. know, it's, what, two weeks ago that I was standing on top of the world. Wow, wow. Well, we hard to imagine what that would be like, but we're going we're gonna to we're gonna talk about it and try to give people a glimpse of uh, what that's all about. But before we do that, I would like to go back and have you tell your story. And You played football for us at the University of Washington, and let's talk about where you grew up and your football career. You got into the NFL and, and then uh, march us up to, uh, to when you went on this journey. Yeah, you know, so I, uh, obviously you know Seattle well, but for those who don't, um, you know, uh, I grew up right in the city, big big city high school, and, and Seattle was surrounded certainly by a lot of mountains, a lot of water, and that had a, a huge influence on me, you know, obviously later in life here, and we'll get into that in a bit, but uh, I was recruited by Don James at the University of Washington. And for me, I grew up, you know, probably two miles um, from the University of Washington. I went to school about two miles away. Yep. So my whole, when you put the whole circle together, it's about six miles that I didn't have to go too far. And I was recruited by a number of different schools, um, both as a quarterback and a receiver. I played uh, receivers as a sophomore and junior and did well. And and then um, went on to be a quarterback because our future quarterback, Hugh Mellon, who is uh, who was a year behind me at the time, went on to have a ten-year NFL career. Wasn't mature enough; his body was, you know, awkward and everything. Mm, and so yeah. they they brought me in from wide receiver to play quarterback, and that went fairly well. And and that so was the, the last the day, that was the last couple of years of your high school career, right? That was my last year, just my senior yeah, just year. Yeah, one year, okay. And, um, yeah, and so I, I went through, I happened to go into the 1980 recruiting class, and I did end up committing to the UW. And, you know, it's just hindsight 2020, certainly. And, and Coach, you were there during pretty much that whole glory run time. And, and, and it really started, I think, around 1977 when you guys turned the corner. And so I saw the momentum that was happening. You'd gone to the Rose Bowl, maybe it was right. the 77 season, 78 Rose yep, Bowl. Yep, yep. Yep, with the Warren Moon and, and started to get some big-time talent. And when I got there, and this, this one I'm about to tell you, it like had a huge impact on me um, in terms of 
I think my success in business today and, mm. and my success on these different mountains and certainly in the NFL. And that was when I first got there, I, I didn't really have a clue on what it ta- took to, to, to be a champion. And Coach Dorr, a quarterback coach, yep. used to say, it takes a little more to make a champion. And I didn't really understand that. And when Coach James had really laid out the kind of the roadmap to what it took and that was the pyramid of success that he had interpreted from Coach Wooden, you know, it took me at least three years to really understand what that meant to bulk up, to get big, to get strong, to study in the classroom, to do all those things, and really understanding what it took to play in the Pac-12, or Pac, it's Pac-12 now, but yeah. Pac-10 back in yeah. those days. Yeah. And, you know, as, as you recall, because you were right in the thick of things, as our, I think our, our linebacker coach, we went to the Rose Bowl my freshman year, my, you know, my sophomore year, um, I redshirted in there, and, and so we went. So we just missed out on going to the Rose Bowl again, as you know, by yeah. going to a couple of Loja Bowls. And then certainly our, our, my senior year, we were just loaded with talent and we experienced. And it, all that stuff really paid off, you mm-hmm. know, visualization of being big and strong, understanding what it was going to take to beat the competition, to compete against a lot of those guys from – SC, UCLA, Stanford, there's other big schools. We played Michigan, as you know, a couple times. Yep. And we were, you know, I just learned how to be effective in the moment, one step at a time, one play at a time. And, um, you know, I ended up with a, a pretty successful career. Yes, ended you up did. going to the Combines, you know, and, and then from there um, had a, uh, a five-year NFL career. So, very blessed, but I mean, certainly, like all the foundational pieces were built in that that first year of what it was going to take to be successful, not just in sports but in life. Yes, yes, absolutely. So let's uh, quickly run through your NFL stops. Yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, you know, people say, well, you know, what was the what was it like getting into the NFL? And coach, you know this better than anybody, but you don't just show up and. <laughs> no. um, you know, it's, uh, certainly you got to go through the process and there's a system that allows to, you know, elevate your way to getting ultimately, you know, picked. And in my case, in the draft, back in those days, there were 12 rounds. And mm. I was fortunate to be asked to come to the combine, which are typically the top 330 kids around the around the country. Mm-hmm. We did that in, in, in that particular year. It was held down at Arizona State University. And I felt really great about it because they put such an emphasis on your 40-yard dash time when we ran on grass down there versus what they do today, yeah. which is folded, as you know, in Indianapolis on, and you have it on a track. And I ran a 4-5 or five, five flat um, three times on, in the grass, which a lot of times can, can be interpreted to, you know, a tenth faster on, yes, on a different kind of surface. Absolutely. And uh, so... It was enough for me to be picked by the, the Raiders. When I got that call, I was just like, you got to be kidding. And mm. so I found myself, you know, once again, in a, in a, when I got down there, there was a lot of competition. They had drafted a first-round wide receiver, a guy in the third round, and I just kind of blocked out all the obstacles that were in front of me. It was just like, you know, I only can worry about myself and what do I need to do to get better and make this team and, you know, and this is kind of another big telling moment in my life, which is when Coach Flores um, was addressing us during spring ball when we all initially gathered, you know, it's like 150 players in the room. 
And he said, you know, it's all fun and games now. Howie Long and Alzado and Lester Hayes and Plunkett and Marcus Allen, all these guys were in the room. They're all joking around. But he goes, hey, you know, at the end of the day, 100 of you guys are going to be cut. And I was looking around and I just said, why not me? Why can't I be that guy that makes his team? Mm -hmm. And, you know, really digging in. And that has served me. I've just had to say those words several times, like when I was first, plan about the stake in the ground about the seven summits in particular with Mount Everest and people like you crazy you know you're going to die and like well why do I have to die I don't have to die why not me why can't I be one of those guys Mm, that you know has actually made that top and so so anyways I was down in uh, LA for a couple years and um, you know there's ups and downs and this and that like like anytime you're out there I've, I've had it all you know I've been cut I've been brought back I've had all these things I was down there for three years. My third year, I made the team. And then two days before the first game, I got traded to New Orleans and your old coaching buddy, yeah. uh, Jim Moore Sr. Yep. And so he brought me in, and, and that was a wonderful experience. And that particular year, 1987, it was the first year in the history of the Saints, over 20 years, that they had had a winning season. I mean, we're talking like, you know, nine and seven, but that year we went, I think 13 and two or something like that. Yeah. We were the, you know, kind of the darlings of the city and it was a lot of fun to be a part. So I was down there for a couple of years and that's where it, uh, a lot of success with, with coach Mora and what he had put together and, you know, kind of at the end of the, End of my run. It was it was time for me to exit. I would love to tell you that I had this big glorious retirement like Joe one. But <laughs> <laughs> the truth of the matter yeah. is, I pretty much got thrown out of the league. But yeah. I, I look back on it with fond memories. Great memories, and and you learned an awful lot. That's for sure. Well, Mark, after uh, football, what came next? Um, you know, I, I I was like, I mean, coach, you've seen this from a lot of guys that that you put so much emphasis into your football life. And, and really, it was over 10 years of competitive football starting with college. And then, and then um, you know, in my case, prolonging that in the NFL. And there was probably two years in there where I really struggled on, like, what's my purpose and how do I take that same energy that I had to really drive me towards uh, something really successful in, in athletics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and pretty much I'd always won. And every place I went, I've, I've always won to now like what do you do and there was a gap in there all anyways long and short of it is i i ultimately started some different businesses one was venture backed there's a gaming company we started out of seattle um ultimately sold that company in 1998 and i really saw kind of the future coming which was this whole shift to digital media you know the internet obviously Mm -hmm. a lot of it was was created on the West Coast and with Microsoft and things like that. You know, I could really see the whole computer age um, coming. And so I spent a lot of time self-taught on the Internet, how it works, websites, all this kind of stuff. And that ultimately led me to, about 10 years ago, being a part of uh, the executive team with Scott.com, and then uh, Scout was sold to 247 CBS, and mm-hmm. then we started this new company called Maven five years ago, which we um, took over Sports Illustrated about 17 months ago, which I'm a, a key executive, and that's kind of my key okay. focus on, on what I do day-to-day is, is yeah. help uh, grow the brand at Sports Illustrated. Yeah, well, that's that's great, Mark. You've had an exciting 
career leading up to the mountains. Now, let's talk about what got you interested in climbing. And I might mention, first of all, to our listeners, that not only has, has Mark climbed Mount Everest, but he has climbed the seven summits. Now, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it's the tallest mountain on each continent. Is that right? That's correct. So now I've truly been around the world. Uh, yeah. So you asked the question, you know, like how I, I, I got into this, and it's a, it's a. I know there's a lot of your listeners that can probably relate to this because it doesn't matter who you are. Um, we all go through rough patches in our life, and I went, went through one about ten years ago, and uh, gal that I've been married to for a long time. I uh, didn't want to be married anymore, and that was hard for me to break up the family and everything else. But ultimately, you know, after kind of a couple of years walking around the block and just asking how I got there, I changed that whole mindset, like, what am I going to do about it? And what what I came up with, having, again, going back to my roots, being from Seattle, going up the mountains, hiking with my dad, the very uh, numerous famous mountaineers, the Whitaker brothers, at Beasters, and others that come out of the state of Washington, climbing Mount Rainier and others. And um, I said, no, I think I want to. I want to do something big. I want to do something athletic. I can't go back and play football. I love mountain climbing. Um, let's see if any NFL players ever climb the seven summits. And at that particular time, uh, the answer was no. Uh, that's changed since. There's a guy, that gentleman from Oregon State, that that did actually climb the all seven summits uh, back and they finished it um, with Everest in 2019. But I said, I want to be that guy. And so that really helped pull me out of my, like my bad spot and give me a goal, big goal, um, and gave me a lot of energy. And ultimately, you know, I healed and the mountains helped a lot with that. And I'm, I'm in a great spot today, but, you know, what a fascinating way to see the world, experience different cultures, different teammates from different parts of the world. And, and to be a part of that, starting off with Kilimanjaro and then getting more and more involved in fundraising to kind of have passion with purpose, you know, it's just been an amazing gift that uh, I never thought that I would ever be in this position, but that's how it, I got into uh, mountain climbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you had another motivator, too, and that would be your daughter, Amelia. And mm -hmm. uh, tell us about that. Well, my daughter is amazing. She's 22 years old. She goes to the University of Arizona, and um, when she was about seven or eight years old, she she somehow or another got epilepsy, and the kind of epilepsy that she has daily seizures. Um, they, you know, there was there were like at one point 30 or 40 little seizures, many episodes, you know, seven to wow. 12 seconds at a shot, and. You know, so we spent a whole lot of years trying to solve this problem and medicines and, you know, was it the tumor and this and that. And and so a couple of years ago, after being involved in raising money for many of the tribes down in, in, in Tanzania, people from the Maasai tribe, uh, organization called Waterboros, um, I, I asked myself, like, well, I, you know, it's great that I've been doing this. I've raised a lot of money for this organization, but... I need to help my daughter. I need to see what I can do to elevate her, to get her healed. And so I started a campaign called A Million is Everest, and then I partnered with a company called Higher Ground here in, in some valley. They're also in L.A. and New York. And a lot of their focus is helping um, military people with uh, adaptive and cognitive issues to solve those things. And so there's a tie-in with epilepsy, and, and so we started this campaign. And 
I got to tell you, Coach, you know, it was such a blessing. Not only did we raise, you know, we've raised over $56,000, but the NFL has a social grant, and they wanted to get involved in this. The Raiders, um, I mean, the alumni department has just been amazing and so kind to me. Um, they threw in a bunch of money to help contribute towards that $56,000, along with a, a bunch of other very generous uh, donors. But just seeing the way the community has come together, and at the end of the day, my daughter, I think, really has felt like she's got a, a new pair of wings um, on, and she's standing a little taller and just having that pride of, of having that campaign named after her and then all these prestigious, not only people, but organizations growing money towards this cause has really made her so much more confident. And the bottom line is, for the first time since she was eight years old, in the last four months, she has not had a seizure. Mm, so that's wonderful. there's definitely a tie, I believe, between the confidence that she's gotten from these campaigns and her brain, however that works, yeah. you know, to calm it down and not have any more seizures. And so, you know, fingers are crossed about the future. Yeah. And the foundation's called Higher Ground, I believe. It is higher ground. Higher ground. Amazing organization. Well, I know, Mark, that uh, when things got tough on the mountain, you said, uh, I believe that if Emily can fight through, Amelia can fight through her challenge, I can fight through this. And obviously. You know, I was going, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 I was going to lead into that. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I, uh, Mount Everest is a beast, and it's unlike any mountain I've ever been on. Anytime, and you know, I was up there seventy days. If you can imagine going on days. vacation for 70, 70 days, that's a long time to be at it. And different from you know, two days of football that we used to go through, it's real life uh, consequences. You know, I, I stepping over dead people, and at the high camp up at twenty six thousand five hundred, six feet from me is a guy that had died uh, in the middle of May that was laying next to me, and. And that's, you know, an eerie feeling. And, and mm. it's like Mars being up there with old remnants of old tanks and everything else. And I had a real hard time eating the freeze-dried food that, you know, they were providing. And, and so I didn't have a whole lot of energy. And, and when you when you decide to go for the summit, the, that commitment really starts about five or six days before that because you're starting at 17.5. you got to climb up through the ice ball, which is terrifying, you got to go through Camp 1, Camp 2, Camp 3, up to Camp 4. And, and at that point in time, you're hoping that the weather, you know, turns for you and you have a break and you can go for it because the jet stream is constantly bouncing on and off the mountain, which is blowing about 200 miles per hour. And then Nepal was hit with a cyclone, so we had all this moisture, you know, in the country, which was resulting in high winds and a ton of snow. And then, of course, there was COVID outbreak. We were trying to dodge and, and just the natural um, avalanches that were coming down on us literally every single day and the crevasses that we had to navigate around. And so when I went for it on that final summit day, I just struggled from kind of the get-go. I also became snowblind um, in my left eye uh, from the high winds and these little uh, ice pellets that were coming across left to right. And um, and so I'd go, you know, 10 feet, and I'm like, okay, just give me another 10 feet, you know, after rest for like four minutes. And then I would play these mind games with my, like my daughter saying, if Amelia can, can make it and she can fight through all this, I can go. So give me another, you know, 10 steps. And this went on for 18 hours, if you can imagine that. And I'm on my way back down, I run out of oxygen on at about 
on the balcony, which is like 27.5. And uh, so it was just one thing after another. And uh, but at the end of the day, you know, as we talked about, I made it. Either make it or you don't. And I'm I'm fortunate to be in that club now. Absolutely. Well, I believe I read that there's like 300 people that have died trying to climb Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think your information is right. And, you know, I stepped over, you know, a bunch of them, especially up towards the top. Um, there is a just a, you know, this is work. It's really sobering. But there's a... Uh, a guy by the name of Don Cash that I had climbed with in uh, Antarctica in 2019 in January. And um, he had later gone up to Mount Everest to climb it in that spring. And anyways, he was laying up there. He didn't make it. And unfortunately, and so it's just, you know, weird. Not only you've seen dead people, but there's actually somebody you tented with and yeah. you climbed with in, in Antarctica. Yeah, that's that's got to be shocking. Well, Mark, yeah. I know there were a lot of people praying for you, and uh, I'm just wondering, I'm curious, did you uh, at any time, or maybe all the time during your journey, sense the presence of God being with you? You know, that's a great question, and I would say that that happened in particular on Summit Day, and it's, it, it, it you know, I, I really, it's the first time in my life I've really taken myself to the edge, and I've had, I really had to, like, tap into, you know, all the angels and and all the powers above to, to help me get through, because there are multiple points where, again, you know, where my, my, my mind really had to play games, or, like, I got to tap into whatever power I can get to get me down this. And that had to do with all the support that I saw on social media. It had to do with my daughter and that had to do with a higher being. I was just like, God, just get me through this. You know, I've, I've, uh, I just, I can't die today. And I literally was saying those words like Mark is not going to die today. And what do I need to do to get to that next, next point? Like another 10 feet, another 10 feet. Now it's once I got up to the top, People said, well, was it elation or what were you going to? I was just like, I was so gassed. I just wanted to sit down and just, and just like reset, knowing that I have this whole thing to go back through. And it's danger, super steep, looking straight down at that bat and tapping into a higher being when you're literally at the top of the world, um, for me, was a key element of why I sit here today. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and and also uh, I'm sure there was there's a lot of avalanches, aren't there? Avalanches literally every day, yeah. and uh, you know I was one at one point in time that you know what, if for your listener who doesn't know there's something called the Kumai Ice Wall, and it's just a gigantic glacier of thirty foot twisted steel ice walls everywhere. It takes you probably four or five hours to get through it. I went through it five times. Um, every single time is a different route. I'm climbing over 60-foot ice walls, and I was in there a couple times just on my own, nobody around me, um, as I was climbing up the mountain wreck. Yeah, I got separated from the rest of the group, and, you know, I had an avalanche coming right at me. I thought it was it. Mm. And then there was no time when I was, um, when we were at, uh, my, I guess, Camp 2, um, and this is now 21,500 feet, and there's an avalanche that came right at, right at, right at our camp. Mm. You know, I mean, we thought that we're going to roll right over this thing. And and two days after we got up the mountain, there's another mountain called Nepsi that sits right next to Motsi and, um, and Everest, um, kind of the third peak that nobody, not a lot of people talk a lot about, but 
after we had left Camp 2, there was a huge avalanche that came barreling down the mountain right at Camp 2. And the snow part of it didn't hit Camp 2, but all the turbulence. And now we're talking like a 100-mile-per-hour you know, mm, wind, yep, almost like a tornado, yep, yep. that captures all the rocks and everything else. And it just blew right through Camp 2 and flattened all the tents. And there was a couple of people that were up there that fortunately you know, didn't die. But it just wiped the whole camp out, wow. um, and people just were laying flat, hoping that you know they didn't get hit, and they didn't. So fortunately, nobody died in that. But it's just the type of constant danger that was happening every day. Wow, wow, yep, you you lived with it every day, seventy days worth. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, amazing. <laughs> <Wow>. amazing. <laughs> so, Mark, I think I, I read somewhere too that there the NFL Network is considering a documentary of your journey. Yeah, they're not only considering it; they're doing it. And oh, they, um, I, you know, I got really—I I don't know why I'm so blessed in these ways, but um, they caught wind of of what I was doing, and so they reached out to me about a month before I was going to leave. And and so they, they big film crew came out to Sun Valley, Idaho, where I live, and um, they they filmed me doing all kinds of different stuff. But they also interviewed. Um, a uh, guy that you coached, Jim Mora Jim, Jr., yep, Jimmy, yep. Um, at, yep, at the University of Washington, went on to be a head coach in the NFL and yep. at UCLA. And then and then also there's another famous guy here in, in uh, Sun Valley who's a friend, Ed Veasters, and he's been mm-hmm. on Everest multiple times. And so they wanted to talk to him about what I was in for. And then the rest of filming was a lot of the coverage that I was, I was filming uh, while I was on you know, the kind of the whole journey of Mount Everest. And so the film is set to debut. It's going to be the premiere episode coming out in early September. And uh, we are trying to create an event here in Sun Valley where we can actually debut the film. Oh, and it'd be a lot be of fun. And maybe have a panel of speakers afterwards. So oh, I'll, I'll keep you posted on please that. Please do. Please do, Mark. Well, listen, I'm sorry we're out of time today. But, uh, man, what a story. And, uh, Mark, after all that, you are a champion. You can, def- <laughs> you. You can definitely uh, hang your head on that for sure. And, and uh, what you accomplished over the years has been amazing. So we want to thank God for bringing you back safe. And we want to thank you so much for for being a guest on Game Plan for Life. Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall is brought to you by the following sponsors. Christian Brothers Automotive, Security Gold and Silver, a reliable source for your bullion investment. Domino's, oh yes we did. Rocket Express Car Wash, it's a blast. Diamond Heating and Cooling, Hoffman Auto Body, someone you can trust. Aflac, Canyon County Habitat for Humanity, and Idaho window tinting. Thank you for listening to Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall. This is Carolyn Holly inviting you to listen at this same time on this same station next Saturday as Skip and his guests go over the Game Plan for Life. Have a great weekend. And remember, no game plan, no victory.